We are in Lesson 5, and we're going to be looking again at some instructions about how we're to live out the new birth. You know, as you come to Jesus Christ, you, are, you and I are called to live our lives in a certain way. And if you remember what I shared with you last week, this was written to folks who were living in a pre-Christian society, so the implications of what he is talking about have ramifications for you and I as we live in a post-Christian society. And if you remember, the Romans basically broke society down into three different factors. First of all, there was the citizenship, the allegiance that you owed to Rome, so basically your, your relationship with government. And if you remember, we're to obey every law at every level, and basically he finally sums it up in that section by saying, honor the king. You and I are called to honor whoever our king or whoever our leader is. Then he talks about the slave relationship, the slave-master relationship, because in Rome, most people were slaves. That is, you belonged to somebody else. Very few people were freedmen, or very, very few were citizens. So he talks about that relationship. And that's where we left off last week. There's a third relationship, and that's the family. And at the heart of the Roman structure was family. And really, the dad had authority. He had the power of the sword, so to speak. So he could judge his own children, throw them in prison if he wanted to. He could even have them executed if they wanted to, if they disobeyed their rule. That's how strict their rule was as far as family. Now, you enter in Christianity, and one of the, one of the things that is commonly accusation that was taking place against Christianity or the way... One of the accusations against Christianity was that, if you remember from the book of Acts, is that they were upsetting things. They were upsetting the status quo. They were upsetting society. And what we're going to see is, is that Peter is trying to address this. Paul does the same thing in his epistles by looking at each one of these segments as far as the Christian's relationship to government, as far as his relationship and the slave relationship, which I would say... There's principles there because we don't have slaves today, although you may feel you're a slave at work, but the most applicable situation for you is your relationship on the job, and then now the relationship in marriage. So he's going to discuss the issue of marriage. Now, when he discusses the issue of marriage, it is the same focus that I want you to see there with regards to both the husband and wife relationship. Now, in all of these three areas, I want you to mark this down. We're talking about being selfless. The key factor in my relationship towards how I respond to government, my relationship to how I respond in my work situation, and my, how I respond now when we talk about the home in your marriage, the key factor is selflessness. Because our tendency is to be what? Selfish. What I want. And, and what I want to have go on and so forth. So the factor is, is i got to give up of myself. Because, listen, the only way that th what we're about to talk about in these first seven verses of chapter 3 of 1 Peter is going to find any application in your home and in your marriage and in your life is if you come to an understanding 
that you have to give up of yourself for the sake of the other person. Does everybody understand me? So let's look. We're going to look at the instructions for wives first. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. First thing I want you to know is read with me chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive as to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Okay, let's look first of all the command. Peter commands wives to be submissive to their husbands. Let me just stop for a moment because that word scares people. When you talk about being submissive, okay, how many of you are scared by that word? Just be honest. Nobody's wanting to be honest. Well, one's being honest back here. She's smiling, okay? We're, we're scared of that word. What does that word mean? Okay, let's talk for a moment. Let's take this directive in verse, first of all, husbands here, first of all, includes those who are not believers. Because here's what will happen. You may make an excuse and say, well, I want to be submissive, but my husband doesn't believe. First of all, I want you to notice something here. He's making very clear in this passage that husbands include those who don't believe. Look with me in verse 1. Notice what it says. Wives likewise be submissive to their own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So even if your husband is not a believer... You're not exempt from this commandment. Now, here's what I'm saying. Submission means being under authority. So let me just stop for a moment. It doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean being a slave. Because if he was saying he wanted you to be a slave, he would say, wives, be a slave to your husbands. He's not using some language here to couch what he really means. He's just simply saying, wives, you need to be under the authority of your husbands in your home, is what he's talking about here. Now, when we talk about the command to subordinate in, to men in general, it's not a command here, notice what he's saying, to your own husbands. He's not saying that you as a woman need to be subordinate to any other man. Sometimes we have taken it to mean that that wives are supposed to be subordinate or, excuse me, submissive to all men in general. It's not saying that here. In fact, the verse very clearly says to who? Your own husbands. Okay, so we wanted to see what the verse says. So it's not talking about you being subordinate to men in general, but to their husbands as in the function of the order within the home. So it's talking about who is in authority in the home. All right? A wife is to accept her place 
in the family under the leadership of her husband, whom God has placed as the head of the home. So I want you to understand something here. So when we talk about who God has placed as the head of your home, the authority in your home, it's the husband. I know that you don't like that because you don't like the decisions he's making. Or you've tried that before and he just failed miserably. So you had to take back the reins because you didn't want to clean up the mess. Is that right? Some of you guys are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. But listen, have you noticed something? Leadership is not gained instantaneously. Leadership is learned. Listen to what I'm saying. Leadership is not gained instantaneously. Leadership is learned. They have to learn from their what? Their mistakes, their failures. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their mistakes and their failures. So you have to give them room to what? Learn or fail. You understand? The reason why, ladies, the reason why we want to take control is because we can't allow them to what? Fail. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Listen to me. God didn't wire you to take control. You understand? He set the divine order that the husband is to be the authority in the home. He didn't wire a woman to be in control. He wired a man to be in control. Now, you notice that men are different as far as emotions. Have you noticed that? Women are different from men as far as their emotions. We're wired differently. And if you don't understand that or grasp that, you're going to see that whole point. Now, I know this. What I'm talking about smacks in the face of what the culture says about everybody being equal. And I'm not talking about women being a doormat where the husband is the dictator. That's not healthy either. God's not calling for that either. But what I want you to see is, is that women are to recognize that God has placed an authority in their husband. Okay? Even if he's not saved. Even if he's not a believer. Now, here's what I'm saying. Here's the manner. Wives must be submissive and respectful just as they would to earthly authorities. Look at what he's saying here. He's saying that even if they do... You know, be submissive to their own husbands. That same word is talk, is, was used earlier when we talk about the authorities, the government. We're to be that, that manner, we're to be submissive in that manner, just like you would be submissive to the government. And listen, you're saying, well, why is he spending so much time here? Because I want you to understand something. What's going on here is he's dealing with an accusation that is being made against Christianity. I want you to think back to the culture. I already described it earlier. You're talking about a culture where who rules the home? Who rules the home? The husband. He has the power of the what? Sword. He has the power of life and death. Here comes Christianity. Mostly with Christianity, who comes to Christ? It's general. Who comes to Christ? Women do. Okay, whenever you look through the book of Acts, when you look through the book of Acts, you'll see some men, but a lot of times you'll see referred to, in the book of Acts, women coming to Christ. So these women are coming to Christ. More than likely, their husbands are not saved. And so the whole accusation against Christianity is that it's turning our world upside down and it's striking at the very fiber of society. 
So here comes Peter. He wants to say, no, 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 we're not striking at the heart of society. Women are to be under authority of who their home is, of the man in their home. And they're to be submissive, just like they would be submissive to, their, to the government. And he's trying, in fact, he takes it one step further, and we'll talk about it here in a moment. He wants them to understand that as, as a person in Christ, you need to be submissive to the authority of your husband at home. Okay? So let's go on now. He's going to say the purpose. Why do you do this? Here's the reason why you do it. Okay? Listen to me. Here's the reason why you do it. Their submission may be used to reach their husband for Christ. It's an issue of respect. See, Paul, if you go over to Ephesians chapter 5, he uses the words submission and respect interchangeably. He uses this issue of submission and respect interchangeably. One of the biggest struggles, men are wired differently, women are wired differently than men. Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 that husbands, you are to what? Love your wives. He calls, he calls wives, he doesn't say to them, love your husbands. Love is natural for a woman, isn't it? Okay? Not natural for a guy, but how a guy is wired. Have you noticed that when a guy, things don't go well at work, he is depressed? Have you noticed that when he doesn't, if he loses his job, he's not the same anymore? Have you noticed that with guys? Why? Because they find their identity in what? What they do. And it's an issue where men are wired by the whole issue of what? Respect. They want respect, and they want respect at home. So really, it's not so much an issue of you being a doormat. It's an issue of you are respectful of who he is as a person. Listen, that will wire him. I mean, if you show him respect for who he is, even in spite of his failures, I know when you've been married to somebody, you know their warts. You know their hang-ups. You know their failures. And that's the truth, because you ever notice when you were dating, you didn't really, you just you kind of spent some time, you didn't, you spent some time, you didn't, and, and you didn't really get to know the person, but then when you moved in, you really got to know them. And you're like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Now here's the problem. You being found out that they were human. And listen, just like you reacted in that way, they reacted the same way too. Oh my goodness, what did I do? Do you understand what I'm saying? Except with a guy, he doesn't talk about it. Women talk to each other. Is that not true? And, and so here's what I'm trying to say to you. So the issue is respect. And so the purpose is, is that when their submission may be used, as you are submissive and you show respect to your husband, even if he doesn't know Christ, especially if he doesn't know Christ, if he doesn't know Christ, it can be used to reach him for Christ. Now, here's, now here, I've, I've seen this through the years. Here's the typical way most women who have unsaved husbands try to reach their husbands. It's a three-letter word. Nag. They try to nag them into church. They try to nag them into a relationship with Christ. Now, how, I don't know about you, but how many of you like being nagged? How many of you hate being nagged? 
How many of you remember that nagging just drives you? Have you ever noticed that nagging always produces the opposite result? The opposite result of nagging always happens. So if I nag Brad here all the time, Nag, Brad, I need you to do this. I'm just I'm hammering him and nagging him. What's his natural response to me going to be? He's going to do everything else but what I'm asking him to do. You've noticed it in your children, don't you? Take the garbage out. Take the garbage out. I need you to take the garbage. Have you taken the garbage out? When are you going to take the garbage out? What do they do? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you shouldn't do that either. But I mean, okay, okay. But and the point is, is that you're you're nagging them, and it, it the natural tendency when somebody nags you is to what rebel. But that's the number one way that we try to reach our unsaved loved ones is through nagging. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the way you reach them is by respect. You respect their leadership. You place yourself under their leadership. Now, let me just stop for a moment. That's not a card blanc check to do whatever they say if they're asking you to do something wrong that's contrary to the Word of God. That's not what I'm talking about here. And you and I both know that probably most of the time they're not going to ask you to do something like that. Not at all, especially if you show them respect. In fact, look at what the Word says here. Look at verse 1. That they... Without a word. So you're not even talking to them. So nagging requires that I do what? I speak something. That they, without a word, look at what it says, may be won by what? Conduct. Your conduct. How you live your life. They're observing, as you show them respect and are submissive to their authority, they are observing how you live your life, and that conduct can reach them for Jesus Christ. Because you're showing them by your conduct what's real for your life. What's real for your life. Really what he's talking about here is a silent testimony. Your proper conduct is a testimony to an unbelieving spouse. Your conduct is a testimony to an unbelieving spouse. And here's the other thing. So we're talking about your conduct. Your reverence to God is a testimony to an unbelieving spouse. Look at what he says there, verse 2. When they observe your chaste conduct, that is, your righteous conduct, chaste there is, has, is really talking about sexual conduct. You're, you're, you're basically having a... You are honoring your spouse by they're the only one, accompanied by fear. What kind of fear? A fear towards God. Reverence. So really what it's talking about there is your reverence to God and how you live your life is a testimony to your spouse. Now that's true whether you are married to an unsaved male or if you're married to an unsaved female. Is that you live your life out the way you should live your life. Now, so we see the purpose. Now he's going to get into the issue of beauty, inner beauty. Look with me, verse 3 through 6 again. And do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, and Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose father you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So let's look at the inner beauty issue first of all. First of all, the issue of outer beauty. Don't focus solely on outward appearance. Now let me just stop for a moment. Some people will take this passage and say, you shouldn't be focused on any outward appearance. You need to wear dresses where the sleeves come down to here, and you need to wear a dress where it comes down to your ankles, and you need to have your hair on a bun. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not forbidding you from focusing on outward beauty. So when you read that passage, is it forbidding you from focusing on outward beauty, taking care of your hair, wearing nice stuff, putting on makeup? No, it's not saying that. What is it saying? It's saying, don't focus on that solely. We live in a culture today where that focus really isn't it. And women are defeated by it, aren't they not? Because you have a TV that's constantly putting before you what? Perfect people. Perfect people who are, quote, a perfect size. Which, can I be honest with you, that's cultural. That's completely cultural. And, can I be honest with you, it's cultural which is always changing. So what's accepted today wasn't accepted 50 years ago as far as what a woman looked like. In fact, if you, if you, how many of you like art? I like to go art museums every once in a while, okay? And if you go and look at Renaissance art, so you go and look at the pictures of the great masters from the Renaissance period. When you look there, you'll see that women that are set forth as being very beautiful aren't anorexic. They're not thin enough that the wind could blow them over. They're not at all. They're normal women. And that was the picture of beauty back then. Why? Because in that age, if you were skinny, you were thought to either have a disease or you were starving and poor because you couldn't feed yourself. Plumpness was considered a sign of wealth. Culture is what defines. And so we have a culture right now that defines beauty, outward beauty, and that's always changing, isn't it? It's always changing. Because notice, ladies, you're not wearing the same hair that you wore years ago. You know what I'm saying? You're not wearing that because you're, you're interested in, see, the younger women are interested in what? The current what? Styles. So what he's saying here is that what I'm talking about for you as a wife who God wants you to be, he's saying don't focus. You can have your focus on it. He's not forbidding you from focusing on it. But what he's saying is don't focus solely on your outward appearance. Okay, what's he saying then? Here's what he's saying our focus needs to be. Our focus needs to be on the inner condition of your heart. It's, not, it's, it's okay to focus some of your attention on your outward appearance, but you need to also focus your attention on who you are on the inside. Now, let's, get, let's, let's just get real for a moment. It's easier to focus on the outside because the outside can mask who we really are on the inside. Is it not true? And for a believer, for a Christian woman... You need to focus not just on your outward appearance, but you also need to focus on 
your inward appearance, the inward nature of your heart. Because I'll be honest with you, who you are on the inside shows through the outside. You know what I'm saying? Is that not true? Have you not met people like that? I have met people that were model quality as far as how they looked. But when you begin to talk with them, all of that disappears in a wave of ugliness. Because who they are on the inside is ugly. You know, you know what I'm saying? So what he's talking about here is I'm not going to just focus on my outward beauty. I need to focus on my inward beauty. Listen, guys, here, especially for guys. And we've got mostly married men here, so you don't, this is not applicable to you. But if you're a single guy, or if you know a single guy, you need, because men are attracted visually. Men are attracted visually. So, for instance, that's why pornography is such a, a wrecks havoc on men, because men are attracted visually. Women are not. And so men are attracted to women because of what? The outward appearance. So what you have to do to teach is your young man or a single man is is not to focus just on the outward. They got to get beneath the outward and see who they are on the inside. Where the real beauty is. Because I've met many men who have married beautiful women only to leave them later because they married somebody who was crazy. Or mean or vicious. So, there needs to be a focus on the inward condition of the heart. Let's go on now. Here's the thing. A woman who, their character needs to be marked with a gentle and quiet spirit. So you're going to focus on your inward character and you're going to be manifesting in your life a what? As God allows you to do this, as He empowers you to do this, your character is going to be marked by a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, let's go back to what I said before. You're trying to reach your husband, and how you're doing it is with that three-letter word, nagging. Is nagging a reflection of a gentle and quiet spirit? Anybody? No, it doesn't work, does it? So he wants you to he wants you to focus on your inward beauty and become a person who's gentle and quiet. And that only comes through a relationship with Jesus. So then here's the view of God. A woman who pursues this in her life is precious to the Lord. So you want to know if you start pursuing this issue of number one, submitting to the authority of your husband, respecting him for who he is, and the issue is respect then your focus is not just on your outward appearance, but it's really going to be focused on who you are on the inside, the, the person of your heart, and you're asking God to help you to become a gentle spirit, a quiet spirit. That is what Paul Peter is saying here is going to be precious to God. That is going to impress him. Can I be honest with you? He's not impressed if you nag your husband to come to church. Because he knows that's not going to reach them. He knows that's not going to reach them. So then he gives the example of some past godly women. First of all, Peter points out that this was the focus of godly women from the past. This was the focus, when you read through the Old Testament, this was the focus of godly women in the past. Their focus was being submissive, respecting their husbands, 
living their lives in such a way that it's a testimony to them without maybe even speaking a word. What? Focusing not just on their outward beauty. And let me just stop for a moment. If somebody says, well, you know, this Bible's calling us not to be beautiful. Look, when you read through the Old Testament, think about it. What in the world did Sarah look like that when she's 80, some king is taking her into her harem? Do you think she focused on outward beauty, that he would pay attention to her? Yes. But he also focused, she also focused on what? Her inward beauty. Okay? So Peter points out that this was the focus of godly women from the past. Let's go on. And he gives a specific example here. Peter states that this was the focus that Sarah had in submission to Abraham. Now let me just stop for a moment. This passage is not calling you ladies to refer to your husband as Lord. Okay. I'm sorry to burst your bubble there, big guy. But that was reflective of that culture back then. That's a cultural thing. So don't go home and say, I want you to, baby, I want you to call me Lord from now on. Okay? No, no, don't do that. That ain't gonna work. Counterproductive. Alright? What it's saying though is that he's referring to her in their culture. That was an issue. That was an accepted norm in that culture. That's not what he's talking about. The issue I want you to see here is this. She was submissive. She respected him. That's the issue. Okay? Now, we're done picking on the ladies. We're going to get to the guys now. And really, there's one verse for the guys. You say, boy, six verses for the ladies, one verse for me. I'm off the hook. No, but this one verse has a lot in it. Okay, look with me at verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of grace, that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's go through these. First of all, husbands have a definite responsibility to their wives. I think the first thing we need to point is, is guys, you've got a definite responsibility to your wife. And, and, and guys, I understand it. You are at work. You may be putting in 10 hour days. You've got things that are going on. You just want to come home and veg, and she's on you about helping with this or helping with that, and you just want to see what's on the news, or you just want to watch your show. You just want to realize mentally you're exhausted from a day. And it's like, I don't have time for this. No, no, listen, I want you to understand, the Bible is very clearly saying to you that even though you've had that kind of a day, you have a definite responsibility to your wife. It, she's not just there for you. Remember what I said, the key to understanding this passage is that you've got to look at it from the issue of selflessness, not what? Selfishness. So you have a definite responsibility. And here's what he says. A husband is to have an understanding of the needs of his wife. Now guys, you've got to become a student of your wife. How many of you watched the movie Fireproof? Okay. In the movie, in the movie, listen to me. In the movie, do you remember uh, the captain? He's reading in the Love Dare book that he's supposed to be a student of his wife, and that even though he's, you know, he's got to graduate from high school with his wife and then get a, and work his way up to a doctorate in the study. Man, you've got to become a student of your wife. You've got to understand your wife. So you've got to understand what her needs are. You've got to understand 
the very nature of who she is. You've got to understand that, you know, you may have left and she was smiling, but then when you came home, she's frowning. There's a reason. You've got to understand your wife. So like here, I've got to, here, I have learned that it doesn't matter how much I've had to do or if I've got a book that I've got to get through, that if I sit down in the evening after the kids go to bed and I've and I got my place in my living room where I sit and I've got my drink of water there and I've got my book, Lori comes over and sits in a certain place on the couch. I've got to put my book down. And I might never get to that book again all evening because I have to, and I have to listen. I also have grown now that I have to do more than just listen. I've got to nod my head like I'm listening. I mean, I've got to listen because I have grown to understand that my wife needs my attention every evening. You understand what I'm saying? So Why? That's my responsibility to her. It, and see, here's the thing. I've also learned this in the beginning of our marriage. We've been married now. It's going to be 16 years this June. In the beginning of our marriage, I felt that I had to give her an answer. She wasn't getting an answer. She had already talked to her friends and got her answer. She just wanted a sounding board. Do you understand what I'm saying? She just wanted a sounding board. You ladies are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. Because you don't trust him. You trust your friends. So here's what I'm saying. You've got to understand your wife. You've got to understand how she's wired. You've got to study her. I'm still working on an associate's degree with Lori. Trying to figure her out. You know what? You'll never graduate you're never going to graduate. You know? Isn't that true? You understand? So you husbands have to have an understanding of the needs of wives. Now here's the understand. Here, this one's big, guys. You've got to listen to me. Husband, the husband is to honor her as a weaker vessel and a fellow believer. You have to show honor to your wife. Now isn't it interesting that the way we talk to each other at home is different than the way that we talk to people on the street? The way we talk to each other at home, guys, listen to me. The way we talk to each other at home is different than the way that we would talk to somebody that we meet on the street or even here in the church. For some reason, we feel that when we're at home, we can just let him loose. And as a husband, you can't do that with your, with your wife. Now, let me just stop. Ladies, don't be offended at the apostle calling you a fragile Weaker vessel. Some people say, oh, yeah, it's not, you know, the ERA, women's lib, everything. No, no, listen, you're missing the point. Paul's recognizing something about a female that's different from a male, and, and it's called emotions. And your husband can easily crush you, can't he? With his words. Is that not true? One insensitive word can destroy your whole day. Is that not true? And he may not even be... And chances are... Let me give give the guy some slack here. Chances are they have no clue what's going on. And if you were to say to them, you hurt me, he's like, what? He's oblivious. 
Is that not true? In fact, I remember, this was funny one time, Lori got up, she was mad at me. And I said to her, well, after lunch, I said, did I do something wrong? She said, in my dream, you did something wrong, and I'm mad at you. Some of you are nodding your head like you know about that, okay? I said, he didn't even do it. He, didn't, he wasn't even there. Okay? So you've got you to gotta give her honor. You've got to give her honor. Here's why. Our conduct towards our wives affect our prayers to God. You know, I am learning this so much in my life now. I call it maturity. That my relationship with God is tied to my relationship with my wife. Ladies, your relationship with God is tied to your relationship with your husband. If I'm not right with my relationship with God, it affects my relationship with my spouse. Period. You understand what I'm saying? They're intertwined. In fact, marriage is not just two people coming together. It's three people coming together. God, you, and your spouse. Do you understand me? And the, and the clear, especially guys, listen to me. That your prayers may not be hindered. Could it be that you're not seeing God answering prayers in your life because you're not right with your wife? Wives, could it be because you're not right with your husbands? This is, the, this is important. So for me, the imperative is very clear. I need to, standing of my wife, I need to honor her. I need to love her. That's what he said. A lot to think about, isn't it? All right, let's close our time in prayer and we'll get ready for...